0: So, so church, uh, clarity is an ability to, to see and understand and handle life in all its dimensions. Because there's a grand principle to which you have committed yourself, and, and believers are called to be people of biblical fidelity, forever faithful, men and women of clarity, uh, unity charity as, as we go forward. So, so we need to have, uh, for example, clarity of purpose. Uh, there's this man whose name is William Ash. William Ash was a young man born in Texas when World War II started in Europe before Pearl Harbor. He went across the border, joined the Canadian Air Force, was a highly decorated fighter pilot when the U.S. entered the war, and then he transferred over to the United States Uh, air wing, and he was shot down and captured in 1942. He knew as a pilot that his design, his purpose, the clarity in his life was to escape. And so he tried to escape 13 times as a POW. He escaped six times. He got into the countryside and lived for at least one or two days. One time he escaped And he was in Lithuania, he went to the coast, he tried to get uh, some what he thought were fishermen to row him across a bay to potential freedom, and he tried to communicate with them, and he jumped in their boat, and they said, well, first of all, one guy spoke English. He said, first of all, you're standing on my cabbages. He said, secondly, I speak English, I'm a German soldier, on leave, you're under arrest. So they took him back to prison. He, He tried to escape one time by digging through the latrine to go out, and that's what you call dedication. Eventually, he did escape on his 13th attempt uh, in 1945, just months before the war was over. Clarity of purpose, clarity of calling, and clarity of definition, uh, thinking correctly. Uh, there's a man named Leonard Susskind who's pictured here. Leonard Susskind was a young man born and raised in New York in a Jewish heritage. When he was 16, his father, who owned a plumbing business had um, a physical illness, and so Leonard Susskind dropped out of high school, worked as a plumber for two years, went to school at night. His father recovered. He continued working as a plumber after high school, went to night college, and two years into his night college career, he came home one night, and he told his mom and dad, who wanted him to take over the plumbing business, I've got a, a, a new passion in my life, it's physics. And his mother started crying, and she says, we're going to all starve to death because you're going to become a man who loves physics. And she says, what is physics? And he tried to explain and didn't go well. And his dad said, so you're going to sell drugs at a drugstore. So dad, that's a pharmacist. I want to be a physicist. And he said, someone's a physicist. And he said, Albert Einstein was a physicist. And the husband said to his wife, quit crying. Our son is going to be the next Albert Einstein. And, uh, you know, some people say he was. He teaches now at Stanford. He's won international acclaim as a physicist. He's the man who developed what we call the string theory. Uh, I read about this two years ago, how important it was to in some circles, so I thought, I want to get a book and read about the string theory. I did. I sat down and read for 30 minutes and thought, I don't need to know about the string theory. So I've lived this long without understanding the string theory, but it's really, really important. That's all I know. But but he had a definition or a clarity of definition and calling or passion. Now, Hear me. We're going to study Romans as we think about these issues. And my, my thesis is that if we have a clarity of understanding who we are in Christ, and what Christ has done for us, it will lead to a life of spiritual worship and a life that is marked by glorious mercy as we seek to use our giftedness to impact our culture. Paul Paul starts out Romans 12, 1, a well-known verse. Most of you have read, thought, memorized, pondered this verse. He says, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, or I beseech you. Now, the word for beseech means I I passionately call to you with authority. I I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So I, I, I beseech you, I appeal to you, brothers, a term of endearment. I appeal to you, brothers, By the mercies of God. Now, the mercies of God church refers to what Paul said in chapters one through eleven about the glories and the grandeur and the mercy of who God is for us in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna run through some verses in Romans one through eleven that under which underscore the the absolute glory and goodness of Christ and the wonder of the cross. So just listen to them. Romans three. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law or apart from what we can do. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all is sin and come short of the glory of God and are justified or declared righteous in his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, the payment that Christ accomplished on the cross. So, So we are redeemed. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, which is the gift of God, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we have peace with God. Remember the mercies of God. We have a new kingdom. Romans chapter 6, verse 20 and following says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. We have a new kingdom. Remember the mercies of God. There's no condemnation, no judgment. Chapter 8, verse 1, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been adopted. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into that fear again, but but you have received the spirit of adoption. And as sons, we now cry out, Abba, Father. Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and have children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. We're eternally loved. Romans 8. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called, and those He called, He justified, and those He justified, He glorified. We have eternal love through Jesus. Romans 8, we're conquerors. Verse 37, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any power can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are called of God. Romans 9, verse 11, though they were not yet born and had not had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. God calls us unto Himself. So, so these, these staggering promises, and then Paul closes this section, verse 11, with just this overwhelming doxological praise. He says, <coughs> Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments. And how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. so, So, so. You you go through all these things, we're eternally loved, we're adopted, we're justified, we're we're more than conquerors, we have a new kingdom, there's no condemnation, and you you get to the end, you see this little diagram that all of these issues lead to a life of worship. I I, I beseech you, I appeal, I plead with you, brothers, by by the tender mercies of God, to be involved in spiritual worship, or as Isaac Watts says in a hymn he wrote in 1707, Love amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. See, all these things lead to worship. So I say, church, if we're to be the people God has called us to be, we must be people who are continuously in touch with the tender mercies of God. Because this is who we are. In Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about our standing in Christ, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, I, or since We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that is open to us through the curtain that is his flesh. Verse 23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, he is forever faithful. And and we're called to faithfully be his people. Now, he says this He says, I appeal to you. By the tender mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So so we've got to understand and know the tender mercies of God. Um, There's a difference between knowledge and understanding. Let me read this quote to you. There's a huge difference between knowledge and understanding. Knowledge is an accurate understanding of truth, wisdom is is understanding and living in light of how that truth applies to the situations and relationships of your daily life. Knowledge is an exercise of your brain. Wisdom is the commitment of your heart that leads to the transformation of your life. So this quote is saying, I think this is right, that we can know things, but we've got to know the tender mercies of the Lord. Existentially in our experience. Because people that know the tender mercies of the cross are merciful people. Now, we'll be talking about this theme the next few weeks. But, but I think mean, Paul is making this transition and he gets to verse 9 of chapter 12. Let me just read these verses to you. And, and, and really, these verses are so countercultural and counterintuitive that when you read them, you go, You're kidding me. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and live in harmony with one another and and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. As much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, to the contrary, if your if your enemy is is hungry, feed him, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Really, see, that happens only as the Holy Spirit continually applies the tender mercies of the living God in our lives, and as we think with biblical clarity and fidelity. Because, you see, informed, emotively laden minds worship spiritually. See, all theology... Is practical. Let me give you a few examples. Merciful people continuously extend mercy. I was with a man recently, uh, a man who's meant a great deal to me. I have a deep affection for him. has been marvelously used to the Lord, and he said to me, he said, pray, pray for me this weekend. I'm going to a conference in a major city in America named The City. So said, I have a son who's living there. son is in his late 20s. He doesn't speak to me. And his mom and I don't know why. He's just turned against us. And he doesn't answer our, the phones. He doesn't respond to text or email. Just pray that when I walk up to his apartment this Sunday and knock on the door, he will answer the door. And I thought, my kids answer the door when I knock. I cannot think of anything much more horrendous than that. How do you walk through that? You remember the mercies of God, and you remember that this God who is eternal and almighty will take the broken shreds of your life, the the tapestry of your days, and as you walk with him, will in some way put it together in a way that in the end will bless his kingdom. I don't understand that, but but the Bible teaches it. I'm walking with a man right now who lives in a different city, different, a city uh wonderful guys, been married 20-some years, has grown children, his wife has left him and for someone else. And so I'm talking to him, and we meet for breakfast when he comes to town and praying with him. He's a dear man who loves Christ, and, and uh, it's just horrible. Now, let me just say this. There's a lie you'll hear whenever you hear about somebody getting a divorce. You'll say, well, there's two sides to every story. That is a lie. That is a lie. Now, I will acknowledge that I, it, that if, when there's a breakup in a marriage, that because we're sinners in the middle of our brokenness and sanctification, that we all have issues. But, but you know, sometimes I've seen it 99% to 1%. You know, you got to acknowledge your issues, but it, it's just a lie to kind of say, well, you know, these things happen. It's just a lie. This guy has done everything in the world to make his marriage work, and he's suffering. What do you say to somebody like that? You, you say, I, 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 I appeal to you, brothers, according to the mercies of God, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. I don't, I don't understand how this is going to work out, but I do believe that God will take the brokenness of our lives, and as we commit it to him, the great master surgeon will use us. So I'm just have been uh, with these guys, Isis. Um, Picked up the newspapers a couple months ago and saw where they were marching some men dressed in these overalls to to be executed. And then the next week, the 21 names of these men were, were released. And I read through the list. And let me just read some of these names. You, these names don't sound like names we know because they're Arabic. Yusuf Shura Hunan, Bishoy Astonophis Kamil, Mina Faez Aziz, Esam Badir Samir. 21 names. And I sat there and I just, said, God, God, why don't you protect your church? Why these dear men? These dear men who went to their death because they would not renounce Jesus. You know? I said, and then I remembered the Bible says in Revelation 12, they have overcome him, the devil, by, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. I said, God, I don't understand it, but you will use the death of these dear people to build your kingdom. So, so you remember, church, you remember the, the absolute tender mercies of God. So you see, remembering, learning, getting them into our heart, clarity of thinking, unity of spirit, charity, serve, these things, these, these, clarity. Thinking leads to spiritual worship. And so, we, we as a church have 10 core values. We go over these occasionally, but you know, they are passion for the person work of Christ, the authority of the Bible, the undergirding of prayer and environment of grace, every <clears throat> member ministry, evangelism, and missions, building relationships, developing a Christian mind, dependency upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit. See, and every core value is undergirded, transformed. Breathe life into by remembering the mercies of God, for us in Jesus Christ, empowered. So, so see, my, my, my call to me and to you is, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, to live according to the tender mercies of God in Jesus Christ, applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit. And you do that in at least a spiritual worship. You do that, it leads to clarity of thinking. There's a book, I love this book, it's called Dangerous Dangerous Calling. It's a book written to pastors, but it's just so good. It's just by a guy named Paul David Tripp, and this is what he says. He says, I I am more and more convinced that what gives ministry, we could just say life, what gives ministry is motivations and perseverance and humility and joy and tenderness and passion and grace is the devotional life of the one involved in ministry. When I daily admit how needy I am, daily meditate on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and daily feed on the restorative wisdom of His Word, I am propelled to share with others the grace that I am daily receiving at the hands of my Savior. So you remember the tender mercies of Jesus You remember your adoption. You remember that you're a conqueror because of the cross. You remember that you're in the forever family of God because you're eternally loved by a great God who called you unto himself. You you, you remember these things, and that leads to to spiritual worship. So very quickly, four terms that lead to spiritual worship, four issues. He says, first of all, I, I beseech you, brothers, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which leads to spiritual worship, first of all, bodies, that we are embodied people. It's interesting, the early church, they dealt with this issue called Gnosticism, and Gnosticism was just beginning here, but it had its roots in the Greco-Roman philosophy, and the Gnostics, if they had a a three-legged stool, the three legs would be involving the following things. First of all, uh, the body is inconsequential. No big deal. The body is the prison house of the soul. The second leg would be something like this. Creation is putrid and fallen and just a mess. They believe that that the, the, the earth was created by a fallen angel who was much, much, much down the chain of authority from the God who could not be defined. So creation is just kind of a mess. The third thing and the third leg of the stool is that God is, but he's undefinable. He's so holy other and up there and out there and so transcendent that he cannot be defined. Conversely, the Hebraic Christian apostolic worldview says, number one, the body is very important. In fact, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Number two. Creation is glorious. Now, creation is fallen, but the earth is still filled with the glory of God. The heavens declare His righteousness and His glory and His, and His creative energy. And, and thirdly, God is and is clearly defined as eternally triune, whom in the fullness of time became a man and lived and died on the cross and rose victorious over death, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he to be defined. So it's a totally different world view. See, so creation is glorious. We Do you ever stop and think, thank God, thank you that you didn't give us a creation that's just black and white, like the TVs in the 1950s. Just black and white, blurry. Thank you that there are reds and greens and yellows and purples and oranges and all types of glorious colors Thank you, Lord, that you gave us taste buds. So when you bite into a vine ripened apple, your mouth explodes. Thank you, Lord, for giving us music. You could have given us only Johnny Cash, but you did not. You know, Johnny Cash sings five notes. So I like him, but it's five notes. Because you're mine, I walk the line. That's three notes, okay? So, 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 but he gave us, no, he gave us arias. He gave us these instruments that, that have different timbre and tone and beauty. And they play with great beauty after years of practice. But they play with beauty. That, that you go out in this startlingly beautiful May day in Charleston. And you say, thanks be to God for his goodness. So, so, so the body is important. That the creation is glorious. And, and, and God is defined. So, he says... Present your bodies. Present your bodies. Present all that you are unto the Lord. So, so th- therefore, therefore, we do not believe in throwaway sex. We believe that sexuality is very important because God made us bodily people. And so again, Paul is given a, a right jab to, to the people that are the, the Greco-Roman proto-Gnostics of his day. And this is what he says. This is an R-rated passage. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? See, prostitute worship was, was rife in Corinth. Never, he says. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Flee sexual immorality. So he's saying that when you have sexual intimacy with somebody, a prostitute, there is a a sharing of the physical, but also there's a psychological bond that happens. And he says, God made sex for the, for marriage in Hebrews thirteen. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. So we don't believe in throw away bodies, throw away sex, throw away living. We believe that that life is. Filled with possibilities and joys. So, so you know, you, you have to walk down this, 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 this balance. So on one side, <clears throat> you have people who say the body is nothing, do what you want to. On the other side, you have people who worship the body. Uh, a Christian has to walk down th- this road. And I just, we live in a culture that's just crazed about the physical. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just everywhere, it just pours into everything you do. I was looking at a website the other day didn't read the article, but the headline said uh, about, uh, she's, I've never seen her act. She's, a, I think, a soap opera actress, still smoldering at 68. <laughs> and I went, really? I mean, still smoldering at 68. I mean, and I thought, how, how, how to, by, by the way, that video, the guy in that video needs some makeup work. He looks pretty old to me, you know. But, but, but still smoldering at 68. And I thought, what a sorrow. What a sorrow to still define yourself in that way at the age of sixty-eight, or even twenty-eight or eighteen. But what a tragedy! So, sometimes you get on the other side of smoldering. And it happens about age twenty-one. If you want to know, it just happens about age twenty-one. I thought about you First know, Peter three that says don't to the women it says don't be defined by your coiffured hair or your jewelry or your fine clothing, but be defined. By the inner person of the heart, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of a precious sight in, in, before the Lord. And I thought of 1 Samuel 16 in the Old Testament, where uh, you know Samuel is going to anoint the king of Israel, and David says, "Go to the home of Jesse, and I'll show you who you're going, you're going to anoint to be the king." And so Samuel, the great prophet, goes in this home unexpectedly, and you know Jesse is aghast, "What's going on?" And he says, "Do you have boys?" And he says, "Yes." He says, "Bring them in." And so he brings in. Eliab, the eldest, who was a good-looking guy. And Samuel's impressed, and he says, man, this has got to be the one. And God rebukes Samuel. He says, Samuel, do not look at his outward appearance. Do not look at the height of his stature. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, Samuel. And so he says to Jesse, bring in the other boys. He brings in one through seven and God says, He's not the one, he's not the one, he's not the one. Now in Jewish home, the, the blessing goes from the eldest to the youngest. If you're the further you go down the totem pole, the less you get. And he had he said, Do you have another boy? He says, Well, the, the youngest boy is out tending sheep. He's he's the last guy, you know, he's he's the last one. He says, Bring him in. And David walked in, he was a young lad. And the Bible says in precious word, the Lord said to Samuel, arise, anoint him. He is the one. So, so bodies. And he says this, a living sacrifice. There's an O him that says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands, take my voice, take my eyes, take everything. Lord, let me be a living sacrifice. If you're a Christ follower, you have the joy of saying, I'm a living sacrifice. I've been bought with the price. I'm to glorify God with my body. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, it says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Bodies, living sacrifice. Third, holy. The word holy means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for God's purposes. It means to be God's person. Now, some of us were raised in communities all where we had what we called holiness codes. If you did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, you were in. But if you did not, you were out. And, and the codes varied from region to region and place to place. That's not holiness. And if you're raised in the upstate, it was J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, X, Y, Z. You, you had a bunch of things. So, so we, holiness has been set apart to the Lord, but we think holiness in a negative way. For example, we say, this guy's got to be very holy. He's grumpy. Or this guy must be holy. Javert and Les Mis, who was consumed with justice and could not see the kindness of anyone else. Or we say, maybe these people are holy. You know, Students were bored. You know, but see, holiness is a freeing, glorious thing, because we're operating the God the way God made us to function. And First Peter says, "Get rid of malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. See, I need to taste the kindness of the Lord, and I'll do, I want to do more and more and more and, and, and experience His greatness and His glory. And later says, "You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord, Church?" And then he says, "When you do this and understand this, it is pleasing unto God. It's acceptable. It's it's a a a joy to the heart of the Ab, of Abba Father. Bodies, living sacrifice, holy. It's acceptable unto God." And just. Don't stay where you are. Same with me. I told the worshiping community in the gym the last two hours. I read from Hebrews chapter 11 or 10. It says that for by a single offering, verse 14, God has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Look at the tenses here. For by a single offering, the cross, he has perfected, done. Past tense, perfected. My position in Christ is fixed. For all time, those who are being sanctified, present tense, do not stay where you are. Living bodies. Living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. When you live that way, it leads to spiritual worship which gives you clarity of thinking to go forward. Clarity of thinking. Are the tender mercies of God defining your life? Now, this past few days, we've been exposed to a situation in Nepal, a horrible earthquake. The death toll is 5,500 to 6,000, and it will go higher. And if you've, uh, many, some people here have been to Kathmandu. Many of the buildings are just clay buildings, no, no codes. So it's, it's a horrific thing. So what we want to do as a church, we have boxes all over these buildings that have Nepal relief on them. And just, if you're a student, skip coffee this week a couple of times, give five or ten bucks. The, many of us can give more than that. And this, this is gonna go straight to an organization with an international mission board that gives relief. Now, let, just let me say this there are a lot of people that raise money for relief, and when you really get into it, a lot of the money you give goes to administrative oversight. It's, it's amazing. If you ever did a study, We, as a church, try to walk with people that give very little to administrative oversight. So 95% or more of what you give will go straight to Nepal, straight to Nepal. So give uh, this week or as you leave, and we'll get that money out to to these dear suffering people. Um, It's just a, a devastating thing. Like the scripture says, associate with the lowly, and God blesses that. Well, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for the day that you've given us uh, to worship. and uh, we, we pray for the church worldwide. We, we think of uh, the church in Nepal. We thank you that we have heard in the last 20 years how the gospel has begun making huge impacts upon the peoples of Nepal. And we pray that the church there would extend a cup of cold water in the name of Christ and that men and women and girls and boys would would understand that people are doing this we're doing this because we believe that in the fullness of time God became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose victorious and while you were in in, in the flesh here you said inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these you've done it to me so so we are compassionate merciful forgiving, grace-extending, embrace of people because we have tasted of the mercies of Christ. So let that message go out and, uh, as we give. And we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.